Hello, Brian's and possibly not Brian's. This is all the Brian's where a Brian interviews Brian's, and this episode is brought to you by Seabock Horseshoeing, owned by Brian Seabock. If your horse needs a shoe, quit horsing around and call Brian. And this episode's Brian. Brian Agler is a triple threat as we cover his passion for puns, then written humor pieces, and then speech writing. Quote unquote low humor, then high humor, then down into the swamp of politics. But let's start things off with a sample of Brian displaying his pun mastery in a pun competition, because you might be wondering what that even is. Last week, I bought a new car, and the dealer was kind of this cad who lacked any kind of decency. He saw me come and started linking his lips, but I needed help. I needed help choosing, and he said, I've got a cure for your ills. I've got pamphlets, and I've got Chevrolets to help you decide which car to choose. And besides, my dealer likes us. He'll give us a good deal. So uh, I looked around, and I, I finally chose a car that I had an infinity for, and it was a Mazda egg. It would have won every single beauty contest lot. And the dealer agreed. He said, oh, that's a real GM, see? That's a, that's a good car for men and women. Hummer her. But it's not a Toyota kind of car you mess around with. She can take Saturns at 100 miles an hour. Or more, Sadie's-Benz have an 150 mile an hour speed limit. She can do those too, for a real. Dodge, you hear me? Are you excited? And I was, because this guy was no car bore orator. He said, take a look at the lights. You can do a low beam or try a high BM dabble. You decide. Or uh, listen to the sound system. You can have rap swag or be folk swagging. Imbue it, it with your own personality. But then I saw the price, $75,000. That's not Jeep. I can't afford that. Not even a portion. That's automobility to pay. For, for me to have that kind of money, I would need a magic Lamborghini. So I said, the world doesn't revolve around you, bud. I'm outy here. But he grabs my arm. It was a real jog war to catch me. And suddenly he starts asking me over Land Rover again to reconsider. And I say, fine. And he tosses me the Kias. I have good Hyundai coordination, so I catch them. And I was Honda Road. Brian Agler. Uh, I'm a speechwriter by day and a humor writer and a pun competitor by night. By night, oh wow. So it's like you're kind of like a weird superhero. Yeah, like the lamest superhero possible. <laughs> <laughs> so first we're going to focus on your pun mastery because that's probably what we're going to title this episode, um, lead with that. Um, and like, can you just first like kind of just describe like what you would, how would you describe what a pun competition is? So there are uh, there are shockingly a lot of different pun competitions uh, throughout the country, but Punderdome uh, in Brooklyn, uh, just, you know, my first love. Uh, it's kind of like a bracket. So they have 16 competitors, and you go up in. Uh, there's kind of an opening round, five to six people around, and they'll give you a topic: birds, cheese, beer, presidents, whatever. And you get a minute and a half to think, and you have a little whiteboard, and you kind of write your ideas down. And then one by one, you get two minutes to perform. And how you perform is totally up to you. Some people tell, you know, long uh, connected stories. Some people are just like rapid fire, just like 
you're like shooting them out there. Mine tend to be these like shaggy dog stories that like you don't quite know where they're going and then they land on something pretty bizarre. But then after that, you know, it's racket, right? So it, yeah. you know, they take half that round, they do three rounds of that, so half the people go on to the next round and then you know, it's a round of four and five, then it becomes four, then it becomes two, and then it be, you know, in the finals, it's a rat battle, or, a, you know, like a pun battle, so it's just going back and forth on a topic for two to four minutes, um, and the audience is voting the entire time to decide who wins. Okay, so it's not always a head-to-head battle at... Only at the end. Only at the end, okay. So I was trying to remember when I saw it, like, years ago. Um, and, we'll, and we'll probably play here, you know, like a clip from uh, Brian doing this, because that's, like, always the best way, I feel like, to understand what this is, is to <laughs> either go or, like... You know, watch watch a YouTube clip or something. Yeah, I realize in saying it, it's a really <laughs> bizarre thing to describe. It's you really kind of gotta see it, or you have to be there. Yeah, it's like half like rap battle, half improv, half storytelling. Yeah, and you know, and there's also this. Um, and uh, Fred, who's one of the kind of co-hosts and creators of it, has added this almost. I almost want to say like professional wrestling element to it, where. You know, because everyone competes under, like, a nom de guerre, right? Like, a different name. So I go by Punda Express, and that's how a lot of people know me. Like, I've been stopped in oh, the Oh, yeah, street. I was going to ask you, like, how yeah. did, where did that come? Like, do you have to have, like, a, a, a nom de uh, nom de pomme? Or yeah, like exactly. No, so exactly, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they, they ask you to pick a name. Uh, there have been people, every so often there's someone who's, like, Jeff or whatever. So they don't always do it, but normally uh, you have some kind of punny name, and it sticks with you, you know, from uh, from month to month as you compete, and you kind of like develop a character around it, and just the way you're introduced uh, during the show, and just the way the show is produced, um, there really is this like theatrical element to it. Like, do people wear costumes? Or like, some do. Okay. Some, yeah. Uh, so, I, I don't. So Panda Express do. doesn't have a. a no, I don't have like a panda costume or like a <laughs> bad Chinese food costume. <laughs> um, so like. Can you walk us through maybe just a little bit in your mind of like what's going on as soon as you first get like a category prompt? Yeah. You said how many? How much time do you have? You get a minute and a half. You get a minute um, and a half, half to and, it out. You get a minute and a half, and the kind of competitor secret is, you know, there's it could be up to six people in a round, right? Yeah. So and each person is taking about two minutes. So if you're the last person to go in a round, you actually have an extra ten minutes to think. So there's this uh, very subtle okay. thing that if you ever go to a a show you can see all the competitors are like trying to just kind of figure out where they should stand because Fred kind of picks randomly but you know you can kind of you can kind of jostle yourself around and figure out where you want to stand in hopes of being towards the end to get more time uh, okay but so there's some gamesmanship there is here. some gamesmanship this is one of those veteran moves um, that yeah. you pick up along the way <laughs> but generally speaking you have uh, uh, a minute and a half to think and in that time I'm you know, what I, st- what I like to do, and I think a lot of other competitors do this too, is the first thing, take 30 seconds and just think of as many things as possible. So, like uh, if, for example, like if the category was, I think the video we saw, were, or we'll probably play, is this one where you're doing like car names or something. Right, exactly. So, you know, Toyota, Ford, Chevrolet. Just yeah, just rattle them off. Exactly. And, you know, and start writing them down. And for me, I like to see them. And then once you have what you feel is a solid... Uh, kind of source to work from, start breaking them down. So I like to go syllable by syllable, right? So like Toyota to Toyota. So I can make a pun about having a Toyota from Star Wars, right? So that's it. And yeah. then you just go, you know, down, you know, by name by name by name or thing by thing by thing, and you just try to get as many as possible. Uh, and then you you have them on your little whiteboard. You're trying to remember them, and and you go for it. But yeah, it really is. It's a uh, you just have to generate material. 
and whether that material is a source idea or a physical pun, you just gotta generate it as fast as possible. It's impressive to watch because it's like a weird kind of like, almost like improv-ness, but it's like a timed like timed improv where you have a little bit of preparation, but not really much at all. Right, and it, you really can't prepare. I mean, it's it's nice to, you know, you can kind of warm up, you can kind of get in the mindset, and some of us before a show will kind of hang out and say, like, okay, let's do, uh, you know, snacks, okay, so Doritos, Cheez-Its, pretzels, whatever, and then some people are coming up with puns off of those, just to kind of get your mind ready, but you can't predict the categories, and so there's really no preparation you can do other than just being ready. And it's judged by, uh, how is it judged? The audience. So, after everyone's done their puns, uh, yeah. one by one you go up, and you're allowed to do whatever you want, as long as you don't make a sound, because the ultimate arbiter of who wins is what's called the human clapometer, which is literally a person who's blindfolded and has a little homemade meter that they kind of move with their hand, and they do that based off of how loud and how long the audience claps. So you can get up there, you can do a little dance, you can do a little thing, whatever. You can get get the audience on your side. So there's some gamesmanship is there as well. You gotta right? learn how to how to work with the audience. <laughs> you gotta get you know you gotta give them what they want. Um, but again, you can't make a sound because because then the human clapometer can figure out who you are. So you do it all silently, but you're just trying to amp the audience up, and then they they give you a score one through ten. Okay. So and and what's the best you've ever done at one of these competitions? Then? Uh. So yeah. I, I, I've gotten tens before, and a lot, and that's not rare. A lot of people, a lot of people do. There are some just amazing, fantastic people now who are regularly just crushing it and getting tens <laughs> every time. Uh, but I have won or been in the finals. I want to say thirteen times. Okay. Uh, and, and that's you know a function, honestly. I've been I've been doing this. Since... And finals, you mean is like runner up? Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, and I've been you know I've been been going to this since like two thousand twelve. I want to say so. Uh, I, a lot of that is a function of time, uh, but yeah. So it's that's it yeah. And do, do is there any sort of like swag you win? Do you do you, do you get you anything? Win, you win terrible swag. Uh, so <laughs> the winner, uh, the winner and the runner-up. So on stage the whole time are two mystery boxes, and uh, if you win, you get to pick box one or box two, and you don't know what's in it, obviously. And they're usually uh, products that are on uh, like. On, you know, like made-for-TV products, you know, like those like infomercial commercials. So it's like a waffle breakfast maker machine. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like costumes people get. Um, I've won a shark costume. <laughs> I've won a a 10-pound bag of off-brand candy, a bubble machine. Um, I mean, just really, really terrible stuff. It's fantastic. <laughs> and so, like, what would what is the most prestigious like pun competition like, or what is like the pun? Landscape out yeah. there. The <laughs> so there is a, if you can believe it, there is a national pun competition, and it actually just happened. It's called the O Henry Pun Off. It takes place in Austin, usually around mid-May, and they do things. They've been running longer, first off, um, and they do things a little different than we do it uh, at Punderdome. So there, it's it's actually two competitions in one. The first competition is a scripted competition, so you come prepared with a, I want to say it's a minute and a half long monologue, essentially, oh. and. The way it works is kind of you pick a category. So I've done it two years, and my categories were uh, cars one year and presidents one year. And you just try to string as many good creative puns as possible into that amount of time. And do you generally score better uh, like puns per per minute, or would you say quality puns? I, 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 <laughs> I so as like I said, mine tend to be shaggy or shaggy dog stories. I personally like 
lots of uh, like polysyllabic puns. So just the, the more complicated the word, if I can turn that whole thing into a pun, I'll always do that over a kind of a couple rapid fire ones. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. That's just what I like so to do. So you personally go for quality over quantity. I think so. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to call it quality. We are still talking <laughs> about puns here, but uh, that's what I like to do. Have you noticed whether one versus the other tends to score better? I think it varies. I think if you can do a, if you can do some really amazing ones and people are going to remember, I think quantity tends to do a little better. Um, okay. It just kind of sticks in the audience's mind more. But it's it, a good pun's good is a good pun. Yeah. And people are going to remember it. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned like the polysyllable puns. Like I actually saw that there's like I'm curious what your definition of a pun is. And like I saw like people get like way into the weeds of like classifying like what a pun is and like a. I uh, I think that a pun is when you use the sounds. Oh wow! I never actually had to like define it. I think when you're using the sounds of a word in a different way than they were intended, and that's really squishy. But I guess I say that to differentiate puns from like wordplay or like metaphors. Yeah. Um, because in some pun competitions, not Punderdome, the audience will not allow it, but in some pun competitions, that kind of stuff can skate through. Uh, you know, friends, like the category would be uh, outer space, and someone would be like, you're a star. And it's like, well, that's not a pun, that's like a figure of speech. Um, I think a pun is, you know, is using a word, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 I was once on this uh, boat, and it just all these people were dancing on the boat. It was a rock it ship, right? So yeah. it's it, breaking it down like that. Yeah, like, I think the, the article I read it was like it got really into like sub definitions of like this is well, this is a homonym. Okay, and then this that, is a, yeah, I have no like, idea. I, no I, idea I don't doubt there's is. anyone out there that's doing these that are like actually like thinking technically no. which type of pun that no. is, and like it's insane. I think it's intuitive. I honestly yeah, think it has to be. Yeah, right? like, you grew up with a dad who's doing all these exactly, dad jokes. And exactly. Exactly. <laughs> kind uh, of comes ingrained in you yeah um, so so yeah but that's that's uh, just to kind of close the loop on it so oh henry has this scripted portion and then it has uh, a pure one-on-one bracket pun off and those things can last for like 45 minutes people going back and forth within a category and then they just kind of you know one person wins they move on they move on uh, from there and so it's an annual event this like the, 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 the big the big one yeah <laughs> and the then, super bowl of puns and then where does a uh, punderdome kind of fit into the landscape i you know, I, I feel like I'm being a bit of a homer right now. I think Punderdome is the premier pun competition. Um, I think it's the largest. I think it's the most famous. Premier as in, like, regularly occurring, not like the O'Henry one you think is Sure, I, I think the O'Henry one kind of attracts people from around the world, but Punderdome is every month, and Punderdome people tend to do very well at O'Henry. Okay. So the fact that they can have that high a quality every month and attract such ma- I mean, hundreds of people come to these shows, so that they can attract such a big audience, I think Punderdome is kind of the one to be... Is there someone who's like kind of like emerging as like the the Michael Jordan of puns or so uh, at Austin and I'm not <clears throat> I'm not sure how he did this year but in the years past there's a guy named Benjik uh, and he how do you spell his last name you know is it like... I hope I get this right it's C I E K okay and we'll he is fantastic and okay. he is just he he wins one or both of those O Henry competitions uh, pretty regularly. Uh, at Punderdome, I would say there's about, and I'm not including myself in this right now, I'd say there's about five people that uh, just kind of regularly, two of them will be in the finals. Uh, and it's just really, it's a rotating of who's there that day, who's on that day. Um, and they're incredible. I mean, they're so good. And they, and they really, and they've been doing it for a long time, so they really are becoming these, you know, 
LeBron James's and Tom Brady's of, of yeah, punching. and it sounds like people have starting to like probably develop their own signature styles. Like, absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, what was like the hardest like type of category prompt for you personally, or have you like have you ever just bombed? Oh, like, constantly. <laughs> um, the hardest categories for me are uh, ones that are very large. Uh, because so, for instance, sometimes like I'll not be, narrow enough of like to just. It's just so. For instance, like maybe this is, is personal, but uh, if I got a category movies, it's actually really hard to just just like write down twenty movies because there's so many movies. You're just yeah. like I, I I don't know what do I do. So or uh, like male names is one that's just like there's I don't know what could I pop you know the, yeah, exactly. outside of Brian right there's yeah. like what do I do <laughs> so uh, the trick I found in those categories is to artificially limit yourself so if it was movies I would just tell myself okay only movies that like George Clooney was in or only movies from the 2000s if it's male names I would be like let's just come up with one name for each uh, letter and I, I I just find when there's it's like a tyranny of choice when there's too many of us oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, overwhelming. Yeah. So you give yourself almost like a self-imposed kind of like structure. Exactly. exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so like yeah, you said you bombed a few times. Oh, like, yeah. do you have a need to? What's like your most terrible uh, performance out there? I like, feel like. I feel like I don't know if I was in this round or I was watching it and being like I would have bombed that round, but it was Beatles songs okay. or just the Beatles, and I just like don't. I mean, I like the Beatles. I just like don't know enough Beatles songs, and I was—it was horrifying because if you can't even come up with the stuff, yeah, like if you give me a word, I can like—I'll generally figure out a way to use it as a pun. But I couldn't even come up with the words. It was awful. <laughs> and it's some, yeah, I can see how that would be kind of like embarrassing because it's like something that everyone is kind of just exposed, exposed, uh, expected yeah, to know. Yeah, it's like, no, this is a failing on my part. Like, I should be able to like, name oh, a Oh, man, I'm failing at Humanity 101 right, here. Right, this is like basic culture. <laughs> I just had no idea what to do. Um, do you, so on the flip side of that, do you have like a dream kind of category prompt that you've like never had yet, that you're just kind of like locked and loaded with like... I know, right? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a really big baseball fan, and I've never had a baseball category but I feel like I could ju- just, in terms of sheer knowledge of things, I feel like I could do well with it. I, I, I've, like, I've joked in my head, I, I've thought about for a pun off doing one where I name every baseball team, I do a pun with every baseball team, and then throw in some stats and terms and whatever. Um, something like that would be fun. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be my favorite. Okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll root for you to get some uh, baseball. Yeah. Uh, baseball I'll come, I'll, if, I, if I do it, I'll come back. I'll, uh, I'll get the recording. <laughs> we'll get an update. Um, yeah, so how did you get started doing this? Like, do you have, like, any sort of, like, improv training or background? Or you say you just grew up ingrained with it a little bit as well? Um, yeah, so when I, I, did, you know, I did a little bit of improv uh, just at UCB kind of for fun. But I got into it because, well, actually, it was through improv in a way. Um, I took a 101 class, and there was this guy in the class who was filming a a pilot, essentially, about Punderdome. And he wanted, he wanted to be a TV show, and he got in touch with the hosts, and he was like, hey, I'm going to shoot this, I'm going to cut it, and I'm going to submit it as a pilot um, to this TV competition. And he told me about it, and it was, I was living pretty close to it at the time, and I'm like, this sounds fun, I'll go. Excuse me. And I went, and I, I think I made it to like the quarter semifinals the first round. I was like, yeah, it's super fun. I came back the next month, and I think I won. And I was like, alright, I'm in. I'm like, this is great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess it was just something that I always... It, was, it felt a little, you know, it was funny, but it was a little offbeat, and it was just something new and different, and 
I, I, I wouldn't say I had pun experience per se, but I was familiar with the concept. And so, what, what would you say to people who just like you know haven't been to a pun competition, but you know, I would say most people haven't been to a pun. Competition. You know, but uh, so all the Brian's that are out there, they're yeah. like, you don't know, they don't know what a pun competition is, but they also know a lot of people, you know, are generally aware that puns are considered like the lowest form of sure. comedy. Sure. So, like, what would you say to the people that hate on puns? It, it's what they have a bias against them thinking about these competitions. What's amazing about it is that it's an irony-free zone, by which I mean. Everyone who comes there legitimately loves doing this. I mean, it's a it's a community. You know, we're all hanging out together and doing each other's shows, like, separate from Punderdome. But we all kind of met through this. And everyone, no one's up there being like, meh, whatever, here's a pun. <laughs> like, everyone is giving it their all. And there's just something so pure and joyous about it. And just the ability to live in... The, well, it's two things. The ability to live in just the total grownerness of it, um, but at the same time, to be very surprised by how good it can get. I think we say, like, puns are the lowest form of humor, and, like, that's fine. You can make that argument. Um, I would say, like, bad puns are the lowest form of humor, but really, really well-constructed, creative, surprising puns, they're awesome. Like, they, yeah, they, they, like... They, they, they're the purest form of humor. They just make you laugh. Especially within the constraints of, like, these competitions, what you have to execute. It's like... And I was putting you on the spot there because also, uh, you know, on the flip side of the so, so-called low forms of humor of these uh, puns, you're also, you also do your very, like, conceptual writing. You put on your monocle and you've, you've written yeah. stuff for The New Yorker yeah. and you, uh, uh, you know... So, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into some of your humor writing now. It's cause, like... Uh, if you want to find like some of the stuff he's written online, I'm sure you can find it on like uh, you have like a website of some sort. Yeah, I, have, or, uh, I have a very bad website at brianagler.com, but if you if you just search my name and look for New Yorker, McSweeney's, or Split Sider, I'm on there. Yeah, so I got I, I looked it up and it was like it was interesting because like a lot of the ones that I really liked just over like the last few years, and I didn't realize a lot of them you were behind. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was like the uh, the. the like, I, I remember I even sent my brother your 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 uh, your piece. The, the the rules of these board game are long, but also <laughs> yeah. complicated. Because it yeah, it's just it just spoke too much to like my my, my complaints around his. That was based <laughs> on a very real experience uh, with some friends. Uh, and if you ever played the there's the there's a Game of Thrones board game. Yeah. And it, it takes like six hours to play, and it's just it's so long, and it takes forever to learn. Oh, I almost uh, bought that at the HBO it's store. It's a great <laughs> game, but it's just I've never played that game and not had like a fever afterwards. Like, cause you're not like drinking enough water and you're you can't win without backstabbing one of your friends. So it, just, yeah. it takes a toll on you. But again, I cannot emphasize it takes forever to learn. So it's kind of after I played that, I was like, there's something here. Yeah, everything saving my brother has been. Each night we learn a board game and then we never play the board game again. So we never get the benefit of like enjoying knowing the rules. It's always. Let's learn an entire new game, and then that's oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the amount of effort it takes. I tried to teach my parents uh, Catan one time, which yeah. in the grand scheme of games is like not terribly hard to learn, and it just did not work, and I, I was flailing within five minutes. I feel like the whole time I was just like, no, 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 it's good. Like, trust me. Just like, you got to, like, learn it. But then I felt like such an idiot being like, okay, so you have brick, but sometimes you can trade it for sheep. Like, it's, it's what a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and your most recent piece is the, uh, is it the one that was like, I'm Jeff Bezos and I'm your dad now? Uh, my most recent New Yorker piece, yeah. <laughs> but so what's your process for coming up with, like, uh, any, any sort of, like, ideas for these kind of pieces? Yeah. Like, do you, do you have, like, a certain filter you put 
you're like, kind of like through your ideas through, or are you just like? I wish I had a more succinct process because I think it would make it easier to do this. Um, <laughs> I think ultimately, what I try to just just over the course of you know the day, you know, you'll have a funny idea. You'll just you you'll be reading something. You'll be like, oh, what if I thought about it like this? And just at the very least, I try to write that down, just that germ of an idea. And then when I actually sit down to write, I'll go back to that. And at that point, it really is a I, I, I wrote a lot of sketches in college and kind of once when I got to New York afterwards and there's a very kind of clear method to writing sketches, right? Isolate the funny idea and just build on it and build on it. Um, and it's really the same thing with humor pieces is isolate that core idea, like the conceit of the piece and say, okay, so where else could this go? Where else could this go? So in the case of the Jeff Bezos piece, I don't like remember what news came out. I think it might have been when they announced that thing that was like, you can just give Amazon a key to your house and we'll just come into your house and drop <laughs> off packages. And I was like, that's insane. And once I thought about that, I was like, all right, then what if he just, what if Jeff Bezos just like took over your family? I'm like, all right, okay, so what does that actually look like? Well, how would he relate to this? How would he relate to that? How would he relate to that? And if you can just kind of come up with a couple ideas for each of those, yeah. you eventually build it out and you've got seven, 800 words. Yes, yeah, so we won't make you, you know, you know read it to the, <laughs> to the uh, audience right now because if you want to hear people read humor pieces, if you're in New York, come to uh, a show he hosts called, you know, uh, is it like a, an evening of humorous an readings? Evening of humorous readings, yeah. Which is which is what that is, and it's like, uh, I guess there's not much else to explain no, it's about it. That. It's, so but it's like know, it's it, yeah, it's sounds me, great. It, oh, thank you. It's so it's me and two of my friends from school who also do this, uh, James Fulton and Luke Burns, who are both fantastic writers, and we just kind of realized we were all in the city together that there was no real venue to perform humor writing. I mean, you could go on a, a variety show or a stand-up show, and you could try to kind of weasel it in, but it, it, the, the audience wasn't really ready for it. it. It's not a. It's something that the audience has to be kind of in the mood for. Uh, so we decided to start our own show, and what we quickly realized was that no one else was doing this in the city, <laughs> so we kind of had our pick of... They're just incredible humor writers in the city, and we would just chew an email and say, hey do you want to come do our show? And they were like, yeah, because there's no other place to do it. Uh, so we just kind of leveraged that scarcity and turned it into a thing. We've been doing it now for, for years. Um, when I was, I moved to D.C. Uh, a couple years ago and I started the show there. And when I moved back, I came back to the show here. Um, so there's, there's, there's a, a demand for it, but it, it's really fun. It's a, just such a unique show and we just have a blast doing it. And not for nothing, it also forces me to write. I always try to have something new for the show, so with the deadline, I, the deadline coming up, I'm much more likely to write. Do you have like any sort of process, like self-imposed deadlines that you do? Uh, That's only like a great motivating tactic yeah. having that show. Yeah, H having that deadline is huge. Um, I wish I was better about making more time. Frankly, it's kind of when I can carve out the hour. Uh, all too frequently, it's you know midnight before the show, and I'm like, oh, I gotta write something. <laughs> um, so no, I have exactly zero process, and it's terrible. And so I you're not one of those like disciplined writers that like I I, get, I can't stand when I hear about writers that are just like yep, every day I just fire up a pot of coffee. Oh yeah, first thing in the morning, get like, five in the, the morning, yep. and just I I don't leave the house till I've written you know seven pages. And no, then I go not. run a mile, and then I go to, go to work. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, I've never done that in my life. <laughs> I don't know. I think performing pieces and looking at your pieces afterwards, like, that's fun, but writing pieces? Yeah. Oh, it's a grind. Why, why is that a thing you'd want to do in the morning at 5.30? Yeah, so... <laughs> do you have any advice for Brian's that are trying to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for, for Brian's and not Brian's. Um, is, I, I mean, this is truly the lamest piece of advice in the world, but just do it. Like, 
Yeah. Uh, maybe, okay, maybe I'll back it up and say, you know, there's a lot of places now where you can read good humor. Uh, yeah. New Yorker, McSweeney's, Reductress, Belladonna, Little Old Lady, Points and Case. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some amazing like ones. Like Splitsiders is now like Vulture or something, right? The Splitsiders on Vulture, the Splitsider humor section, uh, edited by uh, another Brian, Brian yeah. Boone, uh, was fantastic. So there's, there's so many places on the internet to read humor prose. And I would say just take some time, read them, and, fi- and figure out why you think certain pieces are funny. Because there are all sorts of different kinds of pieces. There are all sorts of different kinds of styles. Figure out what you like, and then just emulate that. Try to do the same thing. Figure out the authors you like. Figure out what they do, and give it a shot. And your first couple might not be amazing, but once you keep, you know, you keep doing it, it's definitely something that the more you practice, the clearer you get with your ideas and with your jokes. And start submitting. And yeah. I guess I'll just say this: is that rejection is gonna happen. It, you know, it still happens to me. However many years in that I've been doing this. Uh, a lot and that's just how it goes and eventually someone's going to take your stuff and you grow from there it's how literally everyone who writes humor has done it yeah I think for a long time there's a lot of people that don't realize like that like a lot of these you know publications have open submission policies where it's like straight up just submit to the New Yorker yeah you don't have to be like in New York to submit to the New Yorker you don't have to be anywhere to submit to these places which is like one of the great things which I think a lot of people don't realize is that like Oh yeah, like I'm not in like some club where they all I'll, I'll, do I'll, this humorous reading with their I'll, monocles, and then like I'll actually say it's it's almost like quite the opposite, right? It's like if I look at the places that I read for the my favorite places for humor, they all have open submissions. Yeah. Uh, so there's literally no excuse not to submit. And another good thing I think it's a good motivator to people is they don't realize that some of the best writers out there like how many of their things that they submit like just don't actually get oh my god yeah so don't yeah just don't take that first rejection as like you know the end (laughs) yeah well it's also cool I mean why and and why I would totally push people to do humor writing is that I mean maybe this is a a personality trait thing but (laughs) it's um, like it's you can control it it's your idea. You can write on your time. You don't have to wait for people to get together to rehearse. You don't yeah, have to find like performance sketch or space. improv or any of that kind exactly. of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's just when you're ready, you write it. And when you're ready to submit it, you submit it. And that's really cool. Yeah. And, like, you know, it's a terrible segue. But speaking of, uh, you can be anywhere to do this. Uh, you don't have to be in New York to see, uh, to go to a humorous reading thing and, you know, see some of the things that they're curating there because they also have this uh, newsletter that... Him, oh, that was a good segue. That was fantastic. Right? Yeah, I'm getting good at this <laughs> <now>. <laughs> um, You know, yeah, you can, you can sign up for their uh, a newsletter of humorous writings, which is curated by Brian and uh, two other guys that I think are the, are the co-hosts of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so basically every week we go through all those sites I told you about and more and we just find our favorite pieces from the week and we... Uh, we post them and we you know, write a little blurb about them, why we liked them. And then we have other things as well. We try to uh, we do one thing called Blast from the Past where we just pick an old piece that we like or we invite guest uh, editors, just you know, writers we like to come on and pick their pieces. Um, and then we you know, share news about things in the humor writing world, as it were. And you know, if, if any of the three of us have done something, we'll put it on there. I'll certainly put this podcast on there once it's up. <laughs> and yeah, it's great. You know, it's once a week. It's, it's, it's a very low commitment. I really want to emphasize that. You get one email a week and it's just so hard to find all the humor writings just let us do it for you at a newsletter of humorous writings and here's another plus when you get the email the first name that pops up in of the three names is actually brian's name yeah no i insisted on that yeah he has has priority that was my right as he should as a right as a brian (laughs) i was like you you look if you put someone else's name first i'm walking um 
Yeah, so I saw that like uh, one of the other guys that co-hosts uh, this this Lou character, non-Brian. <laughs> non-Brian. Probably a pretty good non-Brian. I would say as non-Brian's go, he is pretty solid. I've seen that you collaborated with him on some pieces. Like, how does that process work for you? So that was, you know, how we started. So uh, both Luke and James, my co-host, were a year ahead of me uh, at Tufts, and we did a lot of sketch uh, together. And yeah, Luke and I got into humor writing at about the same time, and. Uh, you know, we had similar sensibilities. Um, I should say Luke is uh, way more talented than me, so it was great to <laughs> like jump onto his coattails. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we would just put it up in Google Docs, and someone would have an idea. We'd kick it around back and forth, and someone would write it, someone would edit, someone would add a joke here and take it out there. And once we were both happy with it, uh, we'd fire it off. And it, yeah, then we got a few pieces up together. Okay, so in the in the latest uh, newsletter, or not latest, maybe were, like one or two ago, I saw that you got, and I had to like read it twice because I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck are you talking about?" It said we uh, we've almost closed the deal with the mayor's office to print the entirety of PG Woodhouse's Piccadilly Gym <laughs> on the side of a series of buildings. If it goes through, it'll be one of the first print humor public art initiatives ever. The, prog- the project is going to require a ton of buildings, so let us know if you have any ideas for places we can use. The more we get, the larger and more legible <laughs> the print can be. What the hell is this? So that's a total lie. Um. <laughs> oh, okay, because I was like, I, you really had me for a second. No, so I had to look up. That what, was, who's, who's, what is Piccadilly Gym, and why yeah, is it well, significant? Well, okay, so I'll say, you know, there's a lot of old-timey humor writing that kind of served as the basis for everything uh, that we're doing now. But no, so we, we tend to start the newsletter with, like, a weird blurb. Oh, uh, uh, okay, I mean, so I guess, like, I'm a real, relatively recent oh, subscriber, so I didn't, oh, yeah, I didn't all get it. I was we, just like, so I, oh, you know, that's very weird. No, we, we, we invented a woman who runs our copy editing department one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, oh, that first man. paragraph is just all lies. I'm, I'm embarrassed but now. It's a, but it's a good idea, though, right? I might, I might have to edit this out. I'm so embarrassed <laughs> that in a humor newsletter, I didn't get the satire. <laughs> well, now, I don't know. Now you're making me think, like, are we leaving money on the table here? Should we be doing this? Like, for the, for the good hey, people I was going to segue into if there are any Brian's out there that know of public spaces yeah, that they can Yeah, right, know the mayor. <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're going to get now into the, the third of the trifecta of, uh, of what Brian Agler does, and... So I guess, you know, we'll start out by, is this a fair assumption that you do not necessarily make a lavish amount of money doing pun competitions and humor submissions? One could almost say that I lose money doing them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's no money in puns. And, uh, you know, humor writing, some sites pay, some sites don't. But... I don't write nearly uh, enough or well enough, frankly, to get paid on a regular basis. So those are those are both very enjoyable, very fulfilling hobbies. Okay. So, but so how you do you know make a living is speech writing, yes. right? And so you know I saw like uh, in your some bio I saw online it was like you 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 know you write for you know like business leaders, like uh, foundation leaders, yeah. politicians. Um, You've been involved in some like political organizations, writing like roasts of different politicians and stuff like that. Um, and it just sounds like a really like interesting, you know, day job. Unfortunately, the puns is more interesting to me. That's why we're gonna, that's why we led with that. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But like, so you work at like uh, some sort of speech writing uh, like company, right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, it, we're uh, it, we're a speech writing firm. Uh, I'll give you the, the brief history, which is that after the Clinton administration ended. The, uh, a few of the speechwriters essentially took the speechwriting office to the private sector. So they, they started a firm, 
it was three of them, and this was 2001, and now we're, you know, 35-plus people. We have uh, three offices around the country, and we write for, you know, CEOs, foundation presidents, uh, politicians, celebrities, athletes, and we do uh, a lot of stuff. You know, I think our bread and butter is speech writing, but we write books, and we write op-eds, and we do uh, messaging strategy, and we run workshops, and really anything that requires ideas and amplifying those ideas is something uh, that we're into. And so, like... So your bread and butter is speech writing. That's more like a typical sure. project. I think, you know, at the core of what we do, and whether it's a, and even if it's not a speech writing project in particular, we're always approaching it as speech writers. So is it essentially just like, you know, it's like ghost writing, but for speeches kind of a thing? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we ghost write books, um, but, you know, for speeches, it's anytime any kind of public figure, you know, needs to say something or write something, we're there to, you know, kind of help them through it. And, and do you, like, uh, like, how large is, like, the company, or, like, how many people are work on a project at once? Like, I'm... So, we're, there's 35 of us, give or take, at the firm, but I would say the, the teams are anywhere between, usually, you know, two people for a smaller project and for a larger, uh, you know, retainer where we're getting work constantly, could be seven people. Um, and it totally depends on kind of the nature of the work and how quickly it's coming. Okay, yeah, so it's like, you... For like any sort of speech for a politician, like are you like do you get like on retainer for a politician or like? Uh, uh, we get on retainer. It's it's a little rarer with politicians, honestly, because they do a lot of that in house. You know, uh, most politicians have a speechwriter, so when we work with politicians, it's generally in special circumstances. Uh, a big speech. Uh, it's a big election year thing. But for the day to day stuff, they often have people who do that. But our retainers are more the foundations like and business the, leaders and, and the businesses exactly who are just given multiple speeches. A month, they're writing op-eds, and it's fast and furious, and we uh, it's just easier to kind of do things that would, way. Would you say, like, do you have any sort of specialty in this? Or, like, do you like specialize in humor? Maybe? So yeah, so we uh, we do a lot of humor writing, particularly for poli- for kind of democratic politicians, and I'm on that team, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds uh, awesome. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's uh, you know the our busy season is like the first few months of the year. But there's a lot of these humor dinners in D.C., the Gridiron oh, Dinner, the Correspondence Dinner, uh, the Alfalfa Club, and, you know, a, a congressman or a senator or a cabinet secretary will have to come up and do, like, like 10 minutes of material, which is not nothing, especially when you're not a professional. Uh, so we often get brought in and we, you know, we sit around a table and we just write a bunch of jokes and we kind of, it's, it's, you know, I, I've never been in a late night writer's room, but I imagine it's similar. We pitch a lot and then we kind of cut it back and then we work with the person but you have to so, figure out like, what their sense of humor is like their style exactly because there's, there's like nothing worse than writing something whether it's a speech or a joke that just that that person just wouldn't say or just like isn't comfortable doing so we got to figure out what they're into what their voice is and we go back and forth back and forth and eventually we, we have something so like without you know necessarily naming names sure. like do you have any any like good anecdotes of a politician or someone maybe uh, struggling just with comedy in general that surprised you or like anything? Um, I, we, we had a, we, we wrote for a, for someone one time, for a politician, and this was around, um, it was around Tom Brady's deflate gate, and it was also around a terrible midterm for Democrats, and we wrote something along the lines of uh, I haven't seen anyone act this deflated since Tom Brady's football, and which is like a fine joke, and we got a note back from this politician that said, I don't get it, footballs can't talk. 
And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, that's a great note. That's Ugh. a fantastic... You're 100% right. Um, so, every so, o- so every so often it doesn't work. Uh, I mean, I, I would I would hate on him more, except that I I, I didn't get the, the public art initiative joke. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that can be a future anecdote for you. But, you know, but, no, but, you know, but I'll, I'll actually say this is... If you've agreed, you know, if you're a politician and you've agreed to do one of these speeches, um, you, you know, you're game. Like, you're into it, yeah, you're yeah, ready yeah, to have yeah, fun, yeah. and a lot of them are way funnier than you think they are, or and they're way better at performing than you think they are, uh, and it's, it's, they're a ton of fun to work with. So you would you say, like, just overall in general, would you say politicians have a better or worse sense of humor than the average population? I think it totally varies. I think there are some pol- there are some politicians we've worked with that are super funny. I mean, not for nothing. Go watch Barack Obama's correspondence center speeches. Oh, uh, he's I mean he's great. Right, <laughs> right. But seriously, like now, was he writing those jokes? No. But neither you know Seth Meyers, Jimmy Fallon, or Conan you know don't write their own jokes. But in terms of delivery and in terms of tone and him clearly adding to things and tweaking things, Obama's straight up funny. I mean that guy yeah. can have a, a late night show if he wants to. Other politicians. Well, he's having like a Netflix show. Right, exactly. So maybe that's what it's going to be. I don't know. Um, other politicians, not so much. So it it totally varies. Um, I, you know, there are funny people. There are funny. You know, there are funny senators. Yeah, I mean, that, it, and that sounds like a great job as far as like it's like it doesn't infuse like your 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 talent and humor into like you know a day job. That's not that like I feel like when I you know hear about speech writing, it just it just sounds like a little bit dry. But if you're specializing in humor, it sounds like a great gig. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's now it's not. I'm not doing it every day by any means. Um, but it's it's something I'm like really happy to do. Really, it's really fun to do. I mean, it's a really fun job overall. Just you're getting to, you know, inhabit different voices. You're learning about stuff that oh yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. have to become an expert in whatever you're yeah. writing, uh, and that's fascinating. So what do you uh, what do you enjoy most? Writing funny speeches, conceptual humor pieces, or delivering funny puns on stage? Wow. Um, I I mean. Getting when you nail a humor piece, yeah. and just once you you finished it, and you're like, "This is it! Like, I got it!" And then you you fire it off into the internet, and you just kind of wait for that response. And then you see that email, and it's a, and you, you see who it's from, so you look at an editor, so you know it, what it like what it could be, and they say yes. I, that's an awesome feeling. Uh, oh, so, nice! So it's like it's not even like yeah, it's not on stage. It's not like public reception is just straight up an email oh yeah after that once it goes out into the world I mean whatever people like it I don't care but like if the editor of the editor uh, likes it, it then I'm in that's all if I Brian do. Boone likes exactly. a piece exactly I just I crave that external validation yeah you know Brian Brian Boone has good taste out there <laughs> um, so yeah let's just you know do a quick background question here before we get into the Brian question sure. just like where where are you originally from and like how did you end up in uh, New York so I uh, I moved around a lot as a kid, but I was born in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey a couple times. I lived in Houston three times. I lived in Singapore in middle school. Oh damn! Um, but I'd say I, I grew up in Houston. It's probably the easiest answer. And I went to school at Tufts, so outside Boston. And uh, I think I always wanted to come to New York. My family is from New York originally. I knew I wanted to be kind of at the time. I think I wanted to be vaguely in the television, advertising, comedy kind of world. Uh, so New York Made Sense is also the place that I was able to get a job. So that kind of uh, did it for me. 
And yeah, so I got here and I lived here for three years, moved to DC for a couple years, and now I'm back. Did you do the kind of that speech writing area before you moved to New York, or is that something that came in, in no, while I mean, you're in no, New York? No, I was a debater in high school, and I think that actually has informed a lot of the way I approach speeches. Okay. Um, just thinking about arguments, uh, and I gave my college graduation speech, but I was not a speech writer. In so college, did you ever consider means. like law then? I did because that's what you're supposed to do yeah. when you're a debater <laughs> in high school and then a poli sci major in college. But I, I very clearly remember this was like towards the end of senior year, and not that you I needed to go straight through college to law school, but I remember sitting on my couch in my just disgusting senior year house and thinking like, wow, I haven't even thought about law school. I haven't even like begun to do any research. I guess I don't want to do this. Um, so I didn't. I also married a lawyer and I've seen what the oh, LSAT... So you can live like vicariously through her. Yeah, and I've seen what the LSAT and, and <laughs> how she did on the uh, in law school and on the bar and uh, I don't want to do that. So I'm, okay, happy yeah. to let, I'm happy to let her be the lawyer in the family. <laughs> Great. Like, uh, let's let's get into the Brian questions now. Like, uh, first off, do you know why your parents named you Brian? I honestly think it's because they quote liked the name. There's no, there's no, there are no Brians in the family. We're Jewish. Brian isn't a Jewish name. Um, I so think, you know any like Irish ancestry? Oh no, like, no, God, we're like Polish and Ukrainian. Polish and Ukrainian. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, do you know why they at least spelled it with an I versus a Y? Well, that's the right way to do it. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, what about your siblings' names? Where does, like, Brian fit in? Can we sense, like, a pattern here? Uh, I have one brother. His name is Zach. Uh, okay. So Zach and Brian. Okay. Yeah. Um, what have you named? Uh, I find that Brian's are particularly apt at naming stuff. Like, is that true? You, yeah. Have you named, like, a, you know, just, like, a, a bike, a pet, a rock, a car? A... Um, I, okay. <laughs> I mean, so our first, uh, when my wife and I got cats for the first time, uh, they were brother and sister, and we were trying to figure out what to call them, and we just had a lot of... A lot of different ideas, and I, I eventually came up with uh, Jen and Scout, who are the brother and sister in To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, So, I think I crushed that, and yeah. nailed it. Um, it's a good duo name, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, two-part question, dead or alive. Uh, one other Brian to meet, who would it be, and favorite Brian of all time? Wow. Um, I'm, okay, I don't want the answers, but I'm very curious to hear what other people say uh, afterwards. I honestly... I, you know, you know what Brian I really would love to hang out with? I know he like caught some flack, but I I don't care. Is Brian Williams. Brian uh, Williams the, is an awesome The Brian. notorious liar. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It, it, I was talking with someone the other day about this, and I was like, do you remember a time in the world when Brian Williams lied, and we were like, this is the worst possible thing that can happen ever. This oh, man Lord. needs to leave immediately. If you contextualize it that way, and yeah. now, <laughs> And now I feel like Brian Williams lied would be like, whatever, fine. Like, there's just cr so much crazier shit happening in the world. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Brian Williams is, is, a, is a favorite Brian of mine. Um... Not not because of his lying, but because of what else he did. No, because of his lying. I really just like, <laughs> just love his like skill. Yeah, no, I, was... I, I, I think he's smart. I think he's funny. Um, I think he I think he's like he exists in a unique space, and that he's able to be serious, but he clearly doesn't take himself too seriously. He probably tells a lot of dad joke puns to Allison Williams. I think Williams. he'd be really into puns. Yeah, and I'm sure Allison yeah. Williams is like, Dad, I just come on, and he's just like, Whoa, what do you want me to do? Um, wait, what do you want? Okay, so that was favorite Brian, and then one other Brian to meet, or was it was the opposite? Um, that would be favorite Brian. Okay. Um, I've actually I have met Brian Williams. 
Yeah, we crossed paths very briefly. Wow, so. wait, what was that like? Um, he was cool. He was like exactly what you expect. He was just like very fun and charming and uh, yeah, he was he I expected him to like big time everyone and he didn't. He was great. Nice. Um so wait, so, so Brian I would like to meet. Um, yeah. Brian Posehn from Mr. Show. Mr. Show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Mr. Show is clearly the best sketch show of all time. And to meet someone who is, like, remotely uh, connected with that show would be incredible. Let alone was regularly on it. Good answer. And actually, first uh, time Brian Posehn has been picked. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no. I'm surprised. You oh, know what? Yeah, Mr. Show. Okay, so uh, here's a Brian trivia question. <laughs> Um, which Brian? It's actually kind of like a two-part trivia question. Okay. Actually, I hope one there's of the multiple. Is there's multiple Brians in this. I'm gonna okay. have you name. I'm gonna have you ask see if you can name multi, both of the Brians. Okay, first Brian. Which Brian was fired from an upcoming biopic movie about a famous band that has a Brian guitarist? Which was the Brian that was fired? He was a director of this upcoming biopic oh. movie. Did it be Brian De Palma? No, but that's a good guess because he uh, is a director. He's named a famous, Brian. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he directed uh, Scarface. But this Brian, I'll give you a hint. He, uh, I'll give you two hints. Okay. Um, he directed The Usual Suspects. Oh. Uh, uh, I and hope this he, table slapping is being picked up by the mic. It's really cute. And he, uh, he has a lot of uh, subcut. There's a lot of Me Too allegations. Sort yeah, of Brian Singer. Yeah. 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 Yep. yep. So he's okay. the first Brian. He's a Brian. No, I, uh, I, I don't. Not all Brians are good. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, it's there's a lot of Brians out there. There's some, some are good, some Brians. Are bad. Yeah. Well, you know, so like, Brian Cranston's great for Y Brian, but then sure. there's also the Brian Singer for Y, who's right, you know exactly. bringing the no, Y the Y community down <laughs> a little bit. Um, uh, so then the yeah the other Brian is he's the guitarist of the band. Okay, we were just talking about this. So is it the... I, I'm just going to straight up... So Brian Singer this. directed... Is it the Rolling Stones, Brian? No, which is always also a, a Brian, but there's a lot of Brian... I'm a very bad guitarist. I so the, a band is, the band is uh, Queen, and the guitarist is Brian... Wait, Brian Singer was going to direct that movie? The one with... Uh, the upcoming movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, oh. with, uh, starring... Uh, uh, Rami Malek. Yeah. Now, that's a podcast, uh, the Rami podcast. I'd very much listen to that. I don't know who else would be on it. Um, I'd be harder to find guests for that one. <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm gonna save you that I just have no idea. Yeah, it's Brian May. No, he's like a got great... It. Yeah, he's a... I love Queen. He's Wouldn't a great Brian, that. but the, the, the coolest thing about him is he's an amazing guitarist, and he's also a renowned astrophysicist. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> Brian May, yeah. Look, which, look at, which came first? I actually don't know. I don't know, but he's like he's like bored on the tour bus, and he's like, "I'll read Stephen Hawking." He has like a PhD, and like he's like a great, great Brian, great yeah, Brian. Yeah, top notch Brian, one of the top Brians for sure. Um, all right, but here's an even harder question: uh, If you had to choose a first name other than Brian, what would it be? Wow. Um, I do think I'm not particularly Jewish by any means, but I do like. Like kind of like like those Jewy names. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of like you know keeping keeping everything going. So maybe like a know, maybe like a like a Josh or okay. a, like a Joel or something. I don't know. Not Joel. I don't think of Joel. Uh, it's kind of like Josh. I don't know. Yeah, something like something that is Jewish but not enough where it's like like Shlomo. Not where it's like okay, you're clearly like it's like a thing now. My brother's middle okay. name is David. That's a good name. David's like a strong name. Yeah, David's pretty solid. Yeah. I think something in that realm. 
Do you have any memorable instances of your name being misspelled uh, with an I, spelled brain, or a well, knife? With no, well, you'd, I, I do it constantly. Uh, you misspell your own name. Brain. I, for a speechwriter, I am still very bad at like typos. So I, <laughs> when I finish an email, I always have to watch out to make sure that I'm not spelling my name brain. Um, I did it as a kid a lot and got made fun of for it. Um, but honestly, it was my last name is Agler. And that's the one that got misspelling. A, it's always Alger or Adler, or so. In okay. a way, Brian was the safe space. Okay, so looking back at all the Brians uh, you met in your life, um, do you believe there are any like shared common uh, characteristics or personality traits that might stem from being a Brian? I think that because Brian is not a terribly common name, like it's not weird, but it's not like a top five most common name or anything I feel like Brian's are interested and ready in kind of making a name for themselves and like <laughs> doing like really establishing themselves as, as who they are you'll notice there isn't a, another podcast dedicated to names and I think <laughs> that's not a coincidence I think that Brian's are proud to be Brian's and are proud of what they do and who they are and uh almost feel a certain responsibility to the name. Like, if you're a Chris, there's a lot of Chris's. You can just kind of do whatever you want. Um, if you're, like, a, a Sarah, right? There's a lot of Sarahs. You can just kind of get lost in that Sarah crowd. If you're a Brian, you know, chances are you're one of the few Brians someone knows, and you, you really got to live up to it. Wow, because... Like, this is the one question I never know what anyone's going to answer. Yeah. The one that's all across the board. <laughs> are some like, people, like, ashamed by it? No, but it's like, there's some people that are like, there's so many Brian's that they're in, the, really? in their orbit. So in my experience, I've met, like, I mean, what well, in my experience, Wait, of course sorry, I've met a lot of Brian's. Yeah, I'm an anomaly <laughs> here, but before, before this whole yeah, insanity. Yeah, you meet on a regular basis? I was on projects at work with five Brian's. What? Yeah. I have rarely, <laughs> if ever, been in a situation where there's like, there's too many Brian's. You're Brian A. You're Brian yeah. C. No, really. Yeah, I think it's all just personal experiences. No, like, I've happened chance. Uh, but I will. But I have learned in a recent like a uh, European tour of Brian's is that Brian's in uh, England are it's 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 kind of going away. It's like if you're a Brian there, you're like a young Brian. It's an older sounding name. Oh, like, is like it here, really? Like here, you know, you have certain names that like, right, like oh, Gertrude. Yeah. yeah, you sound old. Brian's an old. Brian's an old I, name I, in like England. Can I tell you what I always liked about Brian is that I felt like it wasn't like a Gertrude, and it wasn't like Kylie with a K, which is like a very young name. Yeah. Like there is never gonna be a Grandma Kylie, right? <laughs> and there's never gonna be like a two-year-old named Gertrude. I always felt that Brian was one of those names that existed across the age spectrum. There can be young Brian. Young Brian's are very cute. Old Brian's are very established. I think it's location specific, you Interesting. know? Interesting. Which, like, you know, I, I really hope that uh, all the baby makers out there consider the Brian. Yeah, look. We need to keep, us, uh, keep it alive. You're gonna, if you're listening to this as you're actively <laughs> conceiving a child... Yeah. Why Most of our audience is actively, sure. you know, you know consummating their love at, while, we, while they listen. I would say, first off, great job. <laughs> and second, why not consider Brian? It's a great name. Okay, so overall, would you consider uh, being a Brian has been a plus or a minus in your life? I think plus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, 
I think it's uh, again. I think it's 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 just in my experience anyway. It's just kind of like sticky enough where it's like, oh, that's Brian. Like that's Brian. Yeah. It's not like well, there's so many Brians. I don't know which one you're talking about. And it's not like well, your name is like Xanadu. Like that's weird and that's your whole thing. <laughs> it just like it's an identity and I'm into it. Uh, yeah, nothing but positive. <laughs> okay, so let's just end this episode with a message you'd like to say to all the Brians out there that are listening. You know, maybe considering. You know, I don't know, I can give you any context. Sure. Any message okay, you'd like sure, to sure, say sure. to all the Brians out there that maybe listen. I think that being a Brian is a gift. It's a platform. Um, it kind of it gives you. There are no preconceptions attached to Brian, um, and that means that you can be your own Brian and you can pave your own way. Whether you want to. Right, do puns on stage in front of 500 people, or write humor pieces, or write speeches, or do all of them. Uh, being a Brian allows you to do all of those things, whereas <laughs> some other names might limit you. So I would just say, count your lucky stars, and be the most Brian that you can be. be yeah, be all the Brian you can be. I, I, yeah. like, I like that. I like that message. Yeah, yeah. A lot. Okay. That was uh, Brian Agler, and you can uh, find more Brian Agler competing at a uh, Pun competitions uh, around New York City, like Punter Dome 3000. You know, maybe uh, maybe at the O Henry uh, once a year in Austin. Uh, online at brianagler.com, uh, at Brian Agler on Twitter, I think. That's and right. uh, or, but you know, definitely subscribe to a newsletter of humorous writings as well. Um, uh, thanks, Brian. Brian, thank you so much. <laughs>